went on there, and I've already knocked it off once, so <laughs> halfway through I might do it again, but we'll watch. So good morning, everyone. So we're going to take a little break from uh, the series that we've been going through. We've been going through an overview of the Old Testament, and uh, we're just going to take a, a little break from that for the next uh, couple of weeks. So uh, this morning we're going to be talking about suffering and comfort. And specifically, God's comfort, the comfort that God gives to us uh, during suffering. Man walks into the room, the man walks into the room and he looks tired. You can see it in his eyes. There's a weariness that's there. And this weariness seems to go to the bone. How long has he been suffering? If you asked him, he would say, I don't remember for as long as I can remember. A girl hesitantly enters, and she looks nervous. She looks afraid. And any time anyone looks at her, she quickly looks away. She's never been good in these social situations, and crowds always make her nervous. She just wants to go home. She just wants to be alone. The young man hobbles in on crutches. The accident has taken its toll on him. His child is still in the ICU. And the worry is written on his face. What will the next few days bring? What will the next few hours bring? The woman is a new Christian. And she has been telling everyone about Jesus. She's just so excited but she's being rebuffed by everyone she talks to. And her family has now begun to act differently towards her. They've begun to treat her differently. And her co-workers at work avoid her now if they can. Suffering shows up in many different ways. It shows up in many different times. And it lasts for many, many different lengths. And some suffering that we go through is physical. Some of it's emotional. Some of it's relational. Some of it's spiritual that we go through. And today what we want to do is we want to look at this suffering. And we want to look at this comfort of God. And so we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-11. And we're going to see the connection between suffering and the comfort that God gives us. You know, in, a, in another book, the Apostle Paul is talking about when people die. And he says this, he says, he says I don't want you to be uninformed about those who have passed on. He said, because we don't grieve as the others do. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. And for suffering, it's the same as us. And I want you to be informed about suffering so that you don't grieve like others do, or so that you don't suffer like others do, so that you don't suffer like those who have no hope, because we have great hope. And I want you to know this morning that suffering and God's comfort go together. These two things are meant to walk hand in hand. We are never meant to suffer alone. When we suffer, we have the God of all comfort. When we suffer, we have Jesus Christ. When we suffer, we have each other. When we suffer, we have the family of God. Let me just pray, and then we're going to read the scripture and then uh, work through this. Father God, we come before you now, and we just pray, Lord, that you'll be with us. Lord, suffering is something that we all experience. Suffering is universal, Lord whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, Lord, whether it's spiritual, whether it's relational. 
where we all encounter it. And Lord, you promise that during this time you will comfort us. So Lord, let us see this connection, Lord, between suffering and your comfort. Be with us now this morning, we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we would receive the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. What was Paul's suffering like? Paul suffered physically. Paul suffered at the hands of other people who mistreated and abused him. He suffered from the feeling of being overwhelmed at these burdens that he carried. In this passage, Paul says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life ourselves, of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death. So try to think about this, right? This is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle to the Gentiles. He wrote like half the New Testament. This is probably like, you know, one of the most godly people that will ever read their writing at all. Does that sound right, his response? We despaired of life ourselves. We were so utterly burdened. Does that sound like a Christian response? Does it sound like a spiritual response? But if you somehow or another expected more from a guy like the Apostle Paul than to say I was so utterly burdened, I just despaired of life itself. The fact is that when we suffer, it hurts. Whether the suffering is physical, whether it's financial, emotional, relational, spiritual, when we suffer, it hurts. And this is what Paul is saying. And this is that universal piece of suffering that Paul is trying to say. It's not that some people do and some people don't. It's like, this is what it's like. This is what it's like when we suffer. So one of the questions that I have is, what is your attitude like when things are difficult? What is your attitude like when you go through suffering? Because our attitudes can kind of be outward or they can be inward or kind of the way that we work through our attitudes, right? Because many our times our attitude is this outward attitude when we go through suffering, right? We end up getting angry. We end up complaining. We become bitter. We, we blame other people. We're short-tempered. We, you know, we're, we're yelling at people. We're arguing with people. It's all this outward stuff. And you know what? 
we can find comfort. We can find comfort in that outward anger. It's what we do to kind of uh, deal with it, right? So in the Old Testament, there's two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And uh, Esau acts really foolishly, and Jacob easily tricks him into giving up his inheritance. And Esau's mad that he's been kind of like led down the path by Jacob. And he's so mad that he ends up planning on killing his brother. His father's on his deathbed, so he's going to wait until afterwards. And he says, the days of, my, of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Their mother finds out about this. And the mother comes to Jacob, and she's telling him to flee for his life. And she says this. She says, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. He comforts himself in his anger and in his bitterness. And that's where he takes that solitude in just going over it and over it and over it and over it and over it. And what is he going to do? What is he going to do? What is he going to do? What is he going to do as it festers up? And that's where he finds his comfort in doing that. Sometimes it's the opposite. That's that outward one, but sometimes there's this other inward one. We become overwhelmed. We become depressed. We have this woe is me attitude that's all this internal stuff. And suffering makes us look inside. And it ends up being the only thing that we see. We don't see anything else but our suffering. And that's all we talk about. And it ends up that the, that the whole world revolves around our suffering. It becomes these glasses that we see through. So Elijah, one of the Old Testaments and the prophet, one of the greatest uh, prophets as well, when Jesus goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration, he's up there with Moses and Elijah and Jesus. These are the three. So this is Elijah. So Elijah's going through when he's on the run. King uh, Ahab and Jezebel are trying to kill him. He ends up basically fleeing to the wilderness for his life. And when he's in there, he's talking to God. He says, they have killed your prophets by the sword. And he said, I am the only one left. And they're seeking my life. And they want to take it away. And God says, no. You are not the only one. There are 7,000. 7,000 who have not bowed their feet. Or not bowed down to Baal. Our suffering makes us look like we're the only ones. And God's like, there are 7,000 people around you, and you only see yourself. Now, don't get me wrong on this. So um, uh, let me just, lost my track of my notes. But what happens then, so in this, we only see one ourselves. We end up, this whole internal inside, it's all we see. We end up um, just with this self-pity and it's all this inward stuff. And um, <laughs> I, I hate it when I lose my place. You know, I used to work midnight shifts right before coming in. So if I ever made a mistake like this, that I could always blame it on no sleep, I went to bed at like 9 o'clock last night. I told Mickey, I'm going to bed. I'm preaching in the morning. I don't want the sleep to be an issue. Thing like that. So, so here I am. I read my notes. I'm like, they don't make any sense. They don't make any sense. I know if they don't make sense to me, they're not going to make sense to you at all. So. So here's what I want to say. Anyway, um, there are people, so I'm saying, yeah, suffering does that, and suffering brings us internal. And there's a piece that says that we have to do this, right? And we are never to go alone. So I'm saying these people 
all they talk about is their suffering. Everything focuses on them. When you talk about them, you only talk about their suffering, right? This world revolves around them. So I'm not saying you shouldn't do that because we're going to see in this passage that we are to comfort one another. And that's what this says. But I'm just talking about someone who has this unhealthy perspective, that that's all they see and that's all they do, right? Everything just comes around them. And they never look outward. They never look to other people. They never see how they can help other people um, at all, but it's just this internal stuff. So, that's the outward, and that's the inward. What was Paul's attitude towards his suffering? In verse 3, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying we despaired of life ourselves. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Paul doesn't look outward in anger. And he doesn't look inward in self-pity. But he looks upward to God. And he says, blessed be God. He praises God because he knows that his comfort will come from God. His comfort will come from God. In chapter 4, it says this. It says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul looks up to God. Why? It's not because he doesn't feel suffering, that he doesn't feel pain. Right in chapter 1, he says, we are subtly burdened, we despaired of life. Here he says, we're afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Later on, he says this. He says, um, he says this. He said, we were afflicted every turn. We, were, we had fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. And so he feels all of this, but he knows that his, the comfort will be from God. It is God who gives us this comfort. So when you are utterly burdened beyond yourself, when you despair, when you're afflicted or perplexed or persecuted or struck down, God comes in then. And God comforts you at that time. What is your attitude like? Is your attitude outward? Is it inward? Is it Godward? So Paul goes through this passage and he tells us some of the reasons that we go through suffering. It's not the only place it's talked about. You can look in Romans chapter 5. It's talked about there. Um, James talks about suffering as well in James chapter 1. It's written throughout the scripture. And there's different things that each of those passages sheds a little different light on it and gives a little bit more. But in this passage, what are some of the things that Paul brings up? Um, so, 
set that question aside. It's nothing to do with sleep, but I misread my notes. That piece is coming up. <laughs> so before, this is getting embarrassing at this point, but <laughs> before that, the question becomes, what is your attitude like, right? And so half of that is like, what's my attitude like? Is it inward or is it outward? Is it that? The other half is, where do I go for comfort? When these times are hard, where do I go for comfort? And just think about that, right? Because there's different places. This is the attitude, but this is where we go with that attitude, right? There's many different places we can go. Sometimes we want to escape, right? TV, video games. Sometimes it's sleep. We just want to go to sleep. We just want everything to go away. Alcohol, drugs, right? Could be work. Could be sports. Could be all kinds of things, right? And these things that we go to are not necessarily bad. We go to relationships, and we go to people, and these are good, right? In this other passage I was reading, Paul says that, he says, um, he says, but God who comforts the downcast, comfort us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us about you. So it is good and it is right. But we can have these relationships that aren't right, right? And we can go to those comforts of those relationships where we forget God. But there's lots of things that are good, right, that we can get comfort from, right? If it's a dark and a stormy night and you're all alone and you're afraid, a dog can be very comforting. And it doesn't have to be a big one, right? It can be a toy poodle and it's going to comfort you. Just that... Just that animal just being there will give us comfort. There's a uh, country singer and, uh, named Miranda Lambert, and she sings a song that's called The House That Built Me. And it's a story about someone who feels lost in the world. And so she goes back to her, childish, her childhood home. This home's already been sold to somebody else. And she goes there and she asks if she can just look around and listen to uh, uh, some of the words of the song. She says, Ma'am, I know you don't know me from Adam. But these handprints on the front step are mine. Up those stairs in that little bedroom is where I did my homework. And I learned to play guitar. And I bet you didn't know under the live oak, my favorite dog was buried in the yard. She says, you leave home, you move on. You do the best you can. I got lost in this old world. And I forgot who I am. And I thought if I could just touch this place or feel it, this brokenness inside of me might start healing. Out here, it's like I'm someone else. And I thought maybe if I could find myself. If I could just walk around, I swear, I won't take anything but a memory from the house that built me. The girl in this story feels lost, and she feels broken. And she's reaching out for some comfort that she can touch. If she can just go back, if she can just touch her house, if she can just feel it once more, it'll be all right. She wants to see the old room. She wants to put her adult hands in those childhood handprints on the step. She wants to stand beneath that tree once more to feel its bark, to hear the wind rustling in the leaves. She wants comfort. Life is hard, and she has struggled, and she has suffered. And you know, it is true that there is comfort there. I go back to my childhood home every year. My parents still live there. And every year I go there. And every year I go into the bedroom 
that I grew up. And I walk around, I look at the pictures. I go outside, I walk around the yard. I go into the tree and I start climbing it. If I get too high, Mickey's right there. <laughs> what are you doing? So at this point in my life, I go up on the lower branches. I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. <laughs> but I can feel those trees. I can feel that childhood that I had. And there is comfort there. And I praise God that there is comfort there. But you know what? The comfort is short-lived. The comfort doesn't last. It's not deep enough. It's not strong enough. But God gives us so much more than that fleeting comfort. He gives us true, solid comfort. He gives us the reason for our suffering. He gives us hope. He gives us faith. He gives us life. And He gives us a way to help other people as they are going through their own suffering. So now I want to walk through those reasons that Paul gives us for suffering. Again, Romans 5, uh, James chapter 1, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as well. He goes through, and in this passage, Paul gives us three different categories of um, reasons. Ourselves, others, and God. Verse 9 tells us one of the reasons for suffering that comes into our lives is so that we learn to rely on God and not ourselves. Once again, Paul says, we felt that we'd receive the sentence of death, but this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, our tendency is to rely on ourselves, right? We rely on our abilities. We rely on what we can do. But during suffering, we lose that. We become so utterly burdened beyond our strength. It's like, it's like you're on a ladder and you're way up, and suddenly the ladder falls out from underneath you, right? And in slow motion, you're grabbing for every single thing, for anything just to hold on to, to keep you from falling. But there is nothing there. And you cannot rely on yourself, right? And it's these times that we feel our weakness, and we feel our pain, and our pride just runs down the drain. And it is here at this place that Paul says, we rely on God. Not on ourselves, but we rely on God who raises the dead. Paul is despairing of life itself. And he says, I rely on God who raises the dead. And so one of the things that suffering does is it teaches us to rely on God. And God himself, Paul says, God himself comforts us. He says, the God, the Father of mercy, the God of all comfort, that's the one who comforts us. And to really understand comfort, right, we put it in front of this backdrop of suffering. And that's when we appreciate that comfort the most, right? And we see that suffering and comfort are joined together. Verse 70 says, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in our comfort. Suffering and the comfort of God always, always go together. And you know, it seems like sometimes we understand, and especially from the Reformed background, if you come from that background, you understand the idea that suffering is going to happen. And you understand you know, theologically, the reasons for comfort. I mean, for suffering. But sometimes we stop there and we say, yes, we need, we need to suffer. Jesus Christ suffered. We're like Jesus. We suffer. 
we go through this, but you forget to put the piece in there that says God comforts. We say, yeah, we need to suffer, but you don't include the place that says, yeah, I need to suffer, but it is there that God will comfort me. It is there and at that point that God meets me. So that Paul says, as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. And think about this, right? When do you feel the comfort of that toy poodle the most? Is it when you're rushing around or in the middle of the day and it's underfoot? Or is it when you're at home alone at night and the power goes out? And when do you want God's comfort the most? When things are going well or things are going bad? And Paul says, as we share in suffering, we share also in his comfort. You know, our driveway is this long, steep hill. And in the summer, I never wish for anything else because that long, steep hill gives me privacy. We live in this little valley, so to speak, and the driveway comes down, and it's great. But every winter... I wish for a short, flat driveway right, up, <laughs> right up next to the road, right? And it, it's like that with God, right? He never promises a short, flat driveway. But what he does promise is that he's going to comfort us in this long, snowy winter. Suffering and God's comfort always, always, always go together, and you can never, ever separate them. So suffering also teaches us to set our hope on God. So we rely on God is one thing, but we set our hope on God is the other one. It says, Paul says, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. And we've set his hope that he will deliver us again. Paul looks back and says, God was there. God delivered us, and he will deliver us again. And he remembers what God has done, and his faith is built up, and his hope is built up, and his endurance is built up. Listen to chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul understands that affliction prepares us for eternal glory. And so he puts his hope in the God who raises the dead. So that's what we learn, or one of the purposes of our suffering for ourselves, but also for others, right? Because we are not the only ones that God has in mind when we go through suffering. In verse 4, Paul says, God comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforting God. See, suffering is universal. Pain is pain. Fear is fear. Circumstances may be different, right? Type may be different. Intensity may be different. Length may be different. But there's this commonness to suffering. So think about it like this, right? You're in a gym, a weightlifting gym, strictly, you know, not aerobic, but it's like where the hardcore muscle muscle guys go. Um, they're kind of like what John used to go to. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> But so, so I'm thinking about this. You're at one of these gyms, right? And this bodybuilder walks in. And he sits down. And he's got his buddy behind him. And he starts to bench press. And he's bench pressing 350 pounds. And he's going rep after rep after rep. 
by his last rep, right, his, his uh, uh, spotter is holding on to it so the weight doesn't come crashing down on his chest. The bodybuilder, when he's done, is exhausted. His muscles are twitching. He can barely lift up his towel to wipe his forehead. And they're sitting there. And in walks a skinny, pale guy with glasses as thick as a book. And he goes up to the bench and he lays down. And behind him, another skinny guy comes up to spot him. He starts out, he wants to lift 100 pounds, but it's too much for him. So he goes down to 85. He goes down to 65. He settles there. And he starts doing his reps. He does rep after rep after rep. By the time he's done, his spotter is here holding on to it so the bar doesn't come crashing down. And when he's done, he's exhausted. His muscles are twitching. He can barely lift the towel to wipe off his forehead. Who worked harder? Who gave more? Who suffered more? There is this universalness to suffering that's the same. It's a different in type and intensity, but there's this universal thing that we all suffer. We all go through pain. And suffering teaches us to have compassion for the other person so that we can comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we have received from God himself. That bodybuilder may have laughed when the skinny guy walked in the door, right? But now when he watches him, he's going to have much more compassion on him because he knows what this guy's going through. And he knows that at one point that was him going through the same thing. And God is telling you that he comforts you so that you can comfort other people when they are going through suffering. Even if you haven't gone what they've gone through, right? Because we've all suffered in some way and in some type. And that suffering, that fear, that, that working through that stuff is universal, that we all experience it. Now, just as a warning, when you are comforting someone, don't tell them, oh, I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly that because I did this or I did that or went through the other thing. You don't know what they're going through. Right? We all have unique situations, unique lives, unique circumstances. So you can't say, I know exactly what you're going through. But you can comfort them as they're going through their difficulties because you have compassion and you have this, this sense that you've done you know, I mean, suffering, you understand that universal part. You can relate to their pain, right? You can relate to their fear. You can relate to them being feeling like they're overwhelmed. You can relate to that sense that you just want to give up, you just want to escape, you just want to go to bed. Right? These are the feelings, these are these things that you can understand when it comes to suffering. And so when you're talking to people, understand you know, that piece. And you don't need to say all the right things. And you don't need to do all the right things, right? I heard a story once, it was a while back, and I don't remember uh, the exact details. Uh, so if someone's heard this story, you can probably fill in the rest. But the, here's the essence of the story. Uh, two sisters get married. Two sisters in the same year both have children. Two sisters in the same year end up losing the child. And their children, both of them. Um, and they were both comforted by different people. And so when they were talking and they were talking to someone, they said, what helped you the most? Who was it? What did they say? 
What did they do? What was the most effective? And both of the sisters said right away, it wasn't the people who talked about, uh, who really, who talked, or even who talked about God's love, or who told us about Roman 8, that all things work together for the good of God. It wasn't those people. It wasn't the other people. The ones who helped us the most were the ones who came and just sat. The ones who helped us the most were the ones who were just there. They just sat, and they were just there. And think about it as well, just on that dark, stormy night, right? It's the middle of the night. Power goes out. You're all alone. What does that dog do? That doesn't tell you everything's going to be all right. right? That doesn't, the dog doesn't say the right thing. The dog just sits on your lap, right? It just cuddles with you. You just pet the dog, and there's some comfort there, right? And so even when we're with people, we don't need to say the right things or do the right things, right? But we can still comfort them. And then, along with this same idea of other people, that's how we can help other people. What if we're the ones who are going through the suffering? How does this work with other people? If you're suffering, reach out to those around you. Because we've already seen that suffering draws us inward and away from people. Or, if we're outward in our expression of suffering, it can, it can push people away from us, right? But God wants you to draw near to other people during suffering. He wants you to have fellowship. In this passage that we looked at, there's nine verses in it. Sixteen times Paul says we. Twelve times Paul says our. Nine times he says you. Nowhere does he say I. He says we are afflicted. We are comforted. You share in our sufferings. You share in our comfort. See, the enemy wants you to go it alone. The enemy wants you to hide your pain. He wants you to be embarrassed so that you don't say anything at all. But God doesn't. God wants you to share what you're going through so that you may be comforted. And if you don't say anything, no one will know that you are suffering. No one will know what you're going through. In this passage, Paul says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Does this sound like someone who's trying to hide it? Does this sound like someone who's embarrassed about what they're going through? Does this sound like someone who buries it deep so that they look like a good Christian, so that they look like someone who has it all together? The answer is absolutely not. This is someone who understands the fellowship of suffering, and they understand the fellowship of comfort. And so if you're going through something, reach out to someone. And even as we're just here, seek out people. And if you see someone who, who seems to be going through something, reach out to them as well. Uh, what else can we learn about the suffering and the comfort of God? Is that it's Godward as well, right? And it leads us to praise God. Not that the suffering does, but the suffering with God's comfort causes us to praise God. He says, Blessed be the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Suffering and this comfort leads us to thank God as well. He says, You must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So, those are the kind of the purposes and the things that happen, right? 
And suffering helps our faith to grow, right? And our hope in God to grow. And our fellowship with others to grow. And the worship of God to grow. So the question becomes, if these things happen, are they automatic? Or do these things always happen? Or can you go through suffering and have these things not happen? The answer is no, they don't automatically happen. And they don't automatically go through. Kind of a similar uh, kind of way to look at this and understand this. Paul's talking about grief, and so he writes a letter to Corinthians. Then he writes a second letter to the Corinthians, and he talks about not being able to be there. And he's kind of a, he's saying, look, I'm sorry that I grieved you. He said, but at the same time, it was good that I grieved you. And he says this, he says, um, he, says I re- he said, as it is, I rejoice, not because you're grieved, because you're grieved into repentance, for you felt the godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces um, death. Worldly grief produces. So in other words, he's saying, look, look at this grief. He said, there's a godly grief that leads to repentance, and this is good. There's a worldly grief that does no good for your soul at all. It just leads to death. And so in this way, we can take those same two ideas of suffering, and we can go through suffering and can do these great things, or we can go through suffering and it can have no effect on us at all. Why? Why is that? What are some of the reasons that Paul lays out here? Let's look at verse 6 again. One reason is that we don't patiently endure. Look what he writes. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we experience. He's saying you experience this when you wait, when you patiently endure. But oftentimes we don't patiently endure, do we? We want things fixed now. We want to be pain-free now. We want to be fear-free now. We want to be unburdened now. And it's at those times that we go to those other places to find comfort, right? That's when we lash out in anger at the people around us. That's when we lash out in anger at God. Another reason is that we rely on ourselves and not God. Paul says this suffering, so we rely not on ourselves but on God. What happens if we don't rely on God? What happens if we continue to rely on ourselves? The same thing. You know, I don't know why um, it is so hard to not rely on God during these times. I honestly don't know why it is so hard. But it's just something that we do. We rely on ourselves, and we just don't rely on God. Another reason is that we rely on other people, right? In the Old Testament, God gives this law. He gives it to the kings, and he says, don't get a bunch of horses. Don't send the people down to Egypt to get a bunch of horses. And so you think, it's like, well, that's kind of odd. I like horses. I like horseback riding. I mean, who doesn't? Why would you not want to get horses? Well, back then you have to think is that the horses were thought of like basically like a war machine. And that if you do this, it would, be, it would be your soldiers, it would be, you know, the army, it would be everything else like that. And God's like, don't go to Egypt to get these horses. But they do anyway. They do this. And in Isaiah, Isaiah 31, he says this. He says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, whose trust in chariots, who trust in chariots because there are many, and in horsemen because they have very strong... But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. The Egyptians are man and not God. 
And their horses are flesh and not spirit. They rely on other people and not on God. So this promises aren't automatic if you buffet against God, if you're impatient against God, if you rely on yourself and not God, if you push and push and push. But there's another more subtle reason as well why we don't always experience this comfort of God. And the reason for that is that we make our goal to eliminate all suffering. And we're not satisfied until the suffering is gone, until we're completely carefree and completely worry-free. But we can never get rid of all suffering, right? And when one time of suffering is gone, it is soon replaced by another time of suffering. And we can look at Jesus. We can see that he suffered throughout his entire life. And the Apostle Paul and many other ones throughout scriptures that continued to suffer. But there is one sense of suffering that seems to be unique, and it's this subtle thing as well. And that's when the pain doesn't go away. And that's when the suffering doesn't go away. It doesn't leave, and it just lasts and lasts and lasts. Because it seems like in the normal suffering, we have this time of peace. We have this reprieve. It seems to come in waves. And this wave comes in, and we're washed under it. But then we get up and we can breathe again. And then maybe another one comes in. There are some cases where we don't seem to get that relief as well. And so it just goes on. The Apostle Paul was one of those. The Apostle Paul was, was uh, physically uh, injured. Uh, what happened was he was preaching in the city, and the people didn't want him there. And so they came out, and they all gathered up stones, and they started throwing at him. And they continued, and they continued, and they continued until they, were t- until they thought he was dead. And they just left him there, dead. And Paul got up, and from that point, it seems like he probably suffered an eye injury, which is most is what people think, uh, stone in the eye or whatever it was, because you can see through other scriptures that kind of that kind of give this indication that he was at. Well, the Apostle Paul prayed to God to relieve him from his suffering. So the Apostle Paul was one who God worked miracles through. God healed people through Paul. God raised people from the dead, a little girl from the dead, through the Apostle Paul. And so all this healing comes through the Apostle Paul for someone else. And Paul says, God, can you heal me? Can you take this away? And God says, no. And Paul asks again, and God says, no. And Paul asks again, and God says, no. And let's listen to Paul's reaction in his own words. The Apostle Paul has just got done in the section we're about to read up, up here that God has given him this great revelation. God has taken him into his third heaven. And here's what he says. Um, he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, am I content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul pleaded with God that the suffering should be removed. And he should do that. That is right. James says this, the book of James says, Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone sick? Let him call the elders of the church to them. They will pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So it is right to pray. 
It is right to ask for these things. And that's what Paul does. But God says, I'm not going to remove the suffering. But here's what I'm going to do. With the suffering, I'm going to give you my grace. With the suffering, I'm going to give you my comfort. With the suffering, I will be with you. You see, they walk hand in hand. They go together. And Paul says, I want God's grace. Paul says, I want Christ's power in me. Therefore, I'm going to boast all the more because of my weakness, all the more because of my suffering. Because as I share in Christ's suffering, I share in his comfort as well. I will be content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. If you get nothing else this morning than that one simple thought, is that suffering and God's comfort go together. Let me say it again. Suffering and God's comfort go together. They are meant to walk hand in hand. It is never a thing that, yeah, I understand this world is going to have suffering. I understand that God ordains it. I understand this, that as we follow Christ, we're going to suffer with Christ. That's not enough. That's not enough. We experience God's comfort during those sufferings, during those times. And that's what Paul says. Listen to him once more. This is in, I don't have it written down, Romans, I guess. Romans chapter 5. He says this, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul in this passage puts suffering right in the middle of rejoicing in the hope of God and God's love being poured into his heart through the Holy Spirit. God's plan from the start was to have suffering drive us to him so that we experience his comfort, so that we know God, so that we know the power of him who raises us from the dead, so that his love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and that we know that and that we experience that. And so, one last thing. And there's so much more you can say about this, uh, about this subject. And um, I just want to touch briefly on one sentence. And even just touching briefly on this one sentence, this one sentence alone could be an entire uh, sermon. Paul says, you must help us by prayer. You must help us by prayer. He understands God. The, God's love is poured through him, but he says, you must help us by prayer. We cannot overcome without the prayers of others. We cannot endure patiently without the prayers of others. We cannot stand against the attacks of the enemy without the prayers of others. What do you think Paul was asking in prayer for? I think these things that we just walked through, that our hope will not be shaken, that our comfort will be from God, that as we share abundantly in Christ, suffering we and um, experiences um, comfort as well. I think he prays that God will deliver them from the suffering that they're going through. But I also think he prays against the enemy. Satan wanders around like a lion, seeking to destroy anyone, anyone that he can. And it seems that when you're going through suffering, you become an easy mark for the enemy. 1 John 3, it says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
the last line of the Lord's Prayer is deliver them from evil. I read once where someone says, when commenting on the Lord's Prayer, he says, I don't consider prayer complete unless I've prayed against the enemy and his works. So as we pray for each other, pray for this spiritual attack, especially on those who are going through suffering. Satan is trying to devour them. Satan is trying to destroy them. Satan is trying to destroy fellowship. Satan is trying to destroy all good things. And we need to pray against that because we are susceptible in times of suffering. The lion always picks out the easy ones from the herd. And it just seems when we're down, when we're injured, when we're going through these things, Satan is right there. And so just let me just just close now. Um, I don't want you to be uninformed about suffering like those who suffer with no hope because we suffer with great hope. It is God himself who has promised to meet us in our suffering. And this uh, suffering and comfort go together, right? They are meant to walk hand in hand. We don't suffer alone. We suffer with the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We share in the suffering of Christ, right? We suffer along with each other. It is this fellowship that we suffer with. And so reach out when you're suffering. Reach out to those who are suffering. Let me close in prayer. Band can come up. Father God, we come before you now, and we just thank you for all that you do. Lord, you are the Father of mercies. You are the God of all comfort, Lord. As we share in your suffering, Lord, we share in your comfort as well. So, Lord, I just pray that you'll be with us. Lord, let us experience that. Let us have the fellowship, Lord, where people feel comfortable and free to express what they're going through. Lord, and let us come beside each other that we might be with each other, Lord, that we might speak words of comfort, that we might be there, that we might be a fellowship, Lord, who not only suffers together, but experiences the comfort of God together as well. In your precious name we pray. Amen.